So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. This is uh, your best life of grace now, part 4. I did put the uh, note sheet back there. Uh, sometimes uh, I can't put the note sheet in here ahead of time. Uh, I print them out first hour, and but the, there's people in here using it, so I just set them on that little table right outside this door. So if you come and you don't see them, they should be on that little table. There's also prayer guides. Whenever you see uh, people walk around with, uh, I'm going with Gospel Hope, you're supposed to be reminded that we need prayer support. Oh, you guys don't have your stickers. Oh. Feeling embarrassed. I wasn't trying to embarrass you, but it's the Lord's providence, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, I would have forgotten them because we all got in the car and we're driving. And I was like, oh, the stickers. Actually, I don't even know if I thought that. I thought it when we found out that there was a box of, we carried the box of the notebooks and other things. It was in the back somewhere. And then I was like, the stickers are probably in there. Hopefully they are. Are they in there? And they were. So I, we would have been the same place as you. So let that be an encouragement to you. <laughs> oh, boy. So part four, looking at this passage, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Uh, let's, let's read it as we get started. But wasn't that, uh, wasn't that great, what we just heard, going through 1 Corinthians? So awesome. I'm excited to... So excited for next week. All right, First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Uh, this is this is God's God's word to you, to me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for the privilege of being a part of uh, your church, your people. Uh, thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the Old Testament. Uh, and how you demonstrate your glory. Uh, that is for our good, for <laughs> our pleasure, for our security, uh, for our well-being. Uh, we thank you for it, and I, and I pray that uh, you'd bless us as we continue going through 1 Corinthians. Uh, continue to give Chris understanding of, of your word. Uh, may he uh, search, search out the truth there prayerfully. Uh, expectantly, may he be changed by it, and, um, and may he preach it uh, as worship to you, and may we receive it uh, joyfully and, uh, and humbly. And I pray that you would teach us about idolatry and its dangers, and may we have self-control to run from it and to run to Christ. Um, he is the great one. He is worthy of our worship. And may we find pleasure in him and security in him and, and so not even feel the need to run for idols and in that way be empowered to have self-control. Uh, and as we look at this passage, uh, there's warnings here too. Um, and Peter too goes to the Old Testament and reminds us that your word wherever you give it to us, if it's given centuries ago, it is, it is for us, and it is written with us in mind and to us, and so maybe receive it uh, with joy and eagerness. And um, it's through your word you equip us to live a life, and in this passage, live a life that we would normally try to run away from, but you tell us that we're called to it. It's a life that includes suffering and includes afflictions because of our uh, union with Christ, because of our uh, likeness to Christ, uh, because of our calling from Christ. And so I pray that we would not run from the life that you've called us to, but that we might, be, that we might embrace it and that we might take a text like this and be strengthened by it to live as you've called us to live for your glory, 
So strengthen us now through your word. And we pray this for your glory, for our good. Amen. So Peter is enticing us to pursue the good life. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him live this way. And uh, so that good life is one that's desirable. That's one that we love. Uh, There's good days when we know that we are being blessed by the Lord. Uh, It's... uh, uh, the inheritance of a, of a blessing is end of verse 9, that you may obtain a blessing. Obtain is the word inheritance. We're getting this inheritance. It's not the good life that we're earning by following these instructions, but it's the avenue of blessing that God uh, has outlined for us. And so he gives this recipe for the good life. Uh, there's 13 ingredients. Uh, we've looked at, uh, how many have we looked at? Five? Just five. But those, I knew, I told you they were going to take longer, okay? So we're going to get through, uh, what's 13 minus 5? The rest of them. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to, so first one, he says, be like-minded. Uh, and that begins verse 8, right? Finding all of you have unity of mind. Uh, and then he tells us to be sympathetic. Uh, it's translated as sympathy in the ESV. It's to suffer with. And then number three is love others in the church as family. And that's that word for brotherly love. And then he says, be tenderhearted and then have uh, or be humble-minded. And those five are packaged together. uh, And you can tell uh, that they're separate from all the other ingredients for the good life. You can tell that because he uses a different form of... uh, uh, Different grammar. It uses different forms of verbs. Uh, in the first five, uh, he's, he is calling us to action, but he's really calling us to an attitude. Let these things characterize you, right? Like be humble-minded. So be this way. Be this kind of person. But also, they all hang together um, because the first and the last both talk about our mind, our, our mindset, our, our way of thinking. Uh, we're to be same-minded. We're to be humble-minded. And both of those things, I think, point to the gospel. We have uh, the gospel in common, and so we let the gospel transform our thinking. Uh, And I think that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. I I urge you by the mercies of God. Um, And then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says in the next verse. Uh, So our minds are all being transformed together, uh, and they're being um, conformed to a pattern and it's the mercies of God. And we're to uh, all be same-minded and humble-minded as we embrace that truth. Okay, so the first and the last talk about our, uh, our mindset, how we think. And, uh, and then working in, he talks about how we should feel. We should be sympathetic and we should be tender-hearted. Uh, so um, we don't want to be controlled by our emotions, uh, emotionalism. Uh, something we talk about and we want to be careful of. But if we're, not, if we're not careful, we run in the opposite direction, and emotion doesn't seem to be that important to us. But, oh my goodness, we are commanded to feel a particular way. We are commanded to suffer with one another and to be tenderhearted, to, be, to have a heart that is so sensitive to others. And uh, that, that, it's not about I mean, someone might say, right, it's, this is always a common excuse. It's not my personality. I mean, it's not that kind. Well, God gives grace. Your personality can totally be changed. Uh, and it must be. You must be a person that's sensitive to others. That is part of living life in the church, and it's part of the good life uh, that God has designed for you. Okay, and right at the middle, then, is brotherly love. And so, those, so brotherly love, uh, we are to... The New Testament writers take this idea of Philadelphia, this idea of love that describes what is natural to people uh, in a nuclear family. And the New Testament writers take it and uh, they use it to describe life as a church family, uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, We really are family. And so that's at the heart of what he's saying. Brotherly love, right? That's the main point that he's making with those first five uh, ingredients. And the, the working out from there really explains what that means. It means you've got to feel a certain way about one another. And that's because you think the same way uh, 
uh, about yourself and about other people. And that way that you think is shaped by the truth of the gospel. All right, so those are the first five. And then he really uh, takes a turn there for number six. Um, refrain from taking revenge is, uh, is what he says first in verse nine. And so, uh, you know, he's moving from loving the brotherhood, right, to honoring all men. Remember, he laid out that, those uh, kind of rapid-fire exhortations uh, earlier in chapter 3. No, it's not chapter 3, it's chapter 2, uh, when he says, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor, right? Honor everyone. So he's talked about loving the brotherhood, now he's talking about honoring everyone. Honor them. Uh, and uh, that is uh, God's will for you. Uh, I was just thinking all over again as I open up the text and meditate on it, how God has, he puts us in all kinds of difficult situations. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard over and over again, um, a Christian man will talk about his boss uh, that uses abusive speech all the time. Uh, a boss that's just impossible to please. He, he curses, he uses profanities. And, um, you know, because of his boss, this Christian man always feels insecure. He feels insecure about his job every day. Is he, how long can he keep going this way? How can he live this, this way? Um, and, you know, what Peter is saying in this little letter is that the Lord's people are, are going to be insecure in many situations, insecure in a, right, in a, in a horizontal plane. Um, apart from the Lord, we are just so insecure, and he puts us in those situations so that we feel that insecurity apart from him. And it's not just the, the feeling that it might get difficult. No, it's, it's that it is difficult. I mean, there are hard things, uh, things that are not going our way at one level, right? Another level, everything's going our way. But um, so God says in this passage, this is what he's called us to. Uh, and so in anticipation of that, he gives us just what we need uh, in this text. And so Peter is quoting uh, in in the next verse, starting in the next verse, um, is it verse 10? Um, Psalm 34, as I mentioned before. In Psalm 34, David, early in the psalm, he says, it's Psalm 34, verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And this is the psalm that Peter goes to. Uh, and David, David is a man who is, I think we would we normally think of him as very strong. King David, he's a strong man. I mean, he holds the line. <laughs> he, can, he can take a beating. He can take insults, and he keeps going. That's why we think of him. He's a strong leader. Uh, he's one of the heroes of the Old Testament. And in this psalm, he's, it's in the midst of much conflict. He's, he's feeling weak. This poor man, he's talking about himself there. This poor man cried. I mean, he, he is truly saying, I, truly, I am a weak man. He's feeling it. He's being chased by Saul. And in the context of Psalm 34, he has just made a fool of himself. So I don't have enough time to give the full context there. But he has made a fool of himself. He wasn't trusting the Lord. He acted foolishly and um, got himself into trouble. And the Lord rescued him, even though he was being foolish. So now he's uh, hanging out with what later the, the group of men that were following him that used to be the, eventually were called the mighty men. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're the limps. And they're struggling with bitterness, right? And they're in this cave together. And he's teaching them. I think Psalm 34 is written in that cave. And he's teaching them about God's faithfulness. And, uh, and he's teaching them about how to live the good life. Uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. And they know it. David knows it. And he's, this is what he's saying to them. But you want a desire uh, to love life and see good days? You can do it because of our God, because of his promises. And so he's, he's been strengthened by the Lord, and he's motivated now to praise the Lord, to invite others to praise him, praise the Lord, and to 
instruct them on how they can live the good life. And so Peter thinks, let me go back to this. He thinks of this psalm, you know. And uh, so David is, is poor, and he's, he's impoverished. Every prop has been knocked out from under him. And he's not strong. He, he, he can't save himself. And he knows that there's nothing he can do to save himself. All he can do is cry. That's what David is, is, has been persuaded of by the Lord. All he can do is cry. And so he cries out to Yahweh. And Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And so he writes to others who are weak. He writes to give counsel. When I'm threatened, when I am wronged, when I'm hurting, when I'm vulnerable, what I need is counsel. I need counsel. I need instruction. This is what you must do. And I need assurances. I need assurances. I need counsel. This is what you must do. And I need assurances. And that's what Peter's doing. Now, built into those assurances is actually a warning, which seemed incompatible. But it's, but it's really not, right? He's not saying this is a warning, but probably you're going to give into this, uh, you know, not meet the conditions and then not live a blessed life. No. He's saying, no, embrace what, what is your birthright. This is what you were saved for. Press in to be faithful to God and remember His promises. But if you're not going to be faithful to God, then yeah, you'll give up His promises. But, but don't do that. Embrace the commands and all the assurances. Right? So they are assurances, even though they're warnings. And uh, so those instructions, it comes with uh, this first one, refrain from taking revenge. It's first, but it's also sixth, right, in our list. Um, the first one that's talking about honoring all men, right? He's looking beyond the church family. Refrain from taking revenge. Look at verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So there are people who could disturb our peace. They're pushy, they have power, they have position, and they have the power and position to cause a lot of trouble. Uh, They can do things that cost us a lot, and so it's threatening. Peter says, don't, when, when they do wrong to you, don't retaliate in kind. When someone mistreats you, uh, with either their words or their actions, you're not to try to get back at them. Evil for evil, he's talking about actions. Reviling for reviling, he's talking about insults, our words. Uh, Peter used the word for reviling earlier in chapter 2, verse 23, when he spoke of Jesus, who didn't revile in return. When reviled, he did not revile in return. But Jesus kept, Peter said there, he kept entrusting. He kept entrusting. He kept entrusting himself his enemies, his circumstances. He kept handing it over to the Lord. And that was how and why he did not revile in return. And that's what we must do. Uh, <clears throat> this is obviously hard. Someone cuts you off, and you at least want to communicate with a facial expression that they are stupid. <laughs> well, of course, we're not going to I mean, certainly we're not going to give them the finger. I mean, we're Christians, right? But at least we can do it with a facial expression, right? <laughs> Sometimes that's what we think. It's just natural, right? Uh, what was that? Right? At least with a facial expression. Peter's saying, don't do that. You are, you are forfeiting grace and enjoyment of God because you are not doing what he's called you to do. He is calling us to do something that is so unnatural and miraculous. I mean, no one is taught to do that. Uh, And and I just gave that one example. In a car, you know, when someone cuts you off, that's what I was thinking of. I said cut you off. Maybe you were thinking walking, but whatever. I was thinking in a car. Um, But think about how easy that is when someone says something that gives the impression that you don't know what you're talking about and you feel slighted. And so you want to respond in a way that makes them feel stupid for suggesting that possibility. Well, I'll have you know, 
It's just so natural. And sometimes there, isn't any, there aren't any words that we would use because we have self-control, but it's not that good of self-control because our heart is way out of line and out of control, and so it's with our eyes, and all it takes is our eyes to get back at somebody. So um, we've got to be we've got to be careful. Um, he he gives another command, another recipe there in verse uh, number seven is bless others, bless others. Um, maybe you could call this uh, be gracious. It's not the word for be gracious, but uh, he's talking about someone who's just wronged you, and now he's saying bless them. So obviously give them what they don't deserve. Give them what they don't deserve. So be gracious. On the contrary, bless. So there's no place for that imaginary conversation that happens in your heart where you are telling people off. It's not enough to to even avoid the eyes that would seek to try and get back at somebody. Yeah, avoid that, but no, it's even, it's even more, it's even bigger than that. You can't even imagine, you're not even allowed to imagine what you could say or what you should have said. If I could do this over again, this is what I would have said. Or he has no idea what he's talking about. If he only, well, there you go. You're, just, you're getting some pleasure now from imagining him being put in his place. And you ought not be imagining such things. What are you, are you to think? You're to be speaking good words. You are to eulogize them. That's the word for bless. It's eulogize. Yes, and it has nothing to do with death, as far as I can tell. Uh, when people die, though, we eulogize them, right? We say good things about them. You should, and this is the way it's usually used in the New Testament, speaking of a prayer to God, where you're asking God to do good things for them, to bless them. You should ask God to show them undeserved favor. That's what you should do. When someone cuts you off on the road, this is what you should do. You should talk to the Lord about this and about him or her and ask God to bless them. So that means everyone who does you wrong should be poised for blessing because they, they get on your prayer list immediately. Um, To do this with sincerity, you must sincerely desire the other person's spiritual well-being. There was a professor who uh, was talking about this topic, blessing when you're wronged, what that looks like, and opened it up to the class to give some specifics, practical examples. And the story was shared of a Christian soldier living in a barracks with his unit. Every evening he would read his Bible and pray, and, uh, you know, before going to sleep, and he was reviled and insulted by the soldier across the aisle. And one night, a pair of muddy combat boots came flying at that Christian. And the next morning, the hostile soldier found his boots at the foot of his bed, cleaned and polished and ready for inspection. Uh, several soldiers in this company eventually became Christians as a result of the inner strength of one who could return blessing for insult. thought that was cool. One example, right? We can give so many. Um, consider the conflict in your life. Have you had any conflict this week? Arguments you've had this week? Um, have you prayed that God would bless the other person? If you've experienced conflict with that person repeatedly, have you repeatedly prayed for God to bless the other person. And certainly, every time you notice that the, the conversations start happening in your imaginations, telling him off or proving him wrong or putting him in his place, certainly every, you don't have to have a new experience of conflict to know when you should eulogize, when you should pray for God's blessing. It's whenever that comes. You've got to put that away. You've got to put off the old man and put on the new man and... Pray for God to bless that person. Um, so you've got to be sincere in that prayer. You really want them to be blessed. 
Where does the power to do this come from? The power to not only not return evil for evil or insult for insult, even with facial expressions, and the power to even go further and sincerely desire their blessing and pray for it. Where does the power to do that come from? I think the key is the, the, the humble mind and the same-minded. I think he does put that logically before this because we have to have transformed thinking. Um, and even so, when you, we are talking about transformed mind. You're talking about, you are talking, it would include affections. Uh, it, it includes your heart, right? This is, these are the things that you really believe, the things that you truly embrace. I mean, this is true humility, not just thinking about the concept of humility, right? But to be humble-minded is to embrace, to have the, the truth of the gospel really transform the way you think and feel about yourself and about other people and about your place in this world under God, before God. Um, our pride is insulted so easily. So often we feel our intelligence as being insulted or... or we don't like it that people think that we did something that wasn't good, not just our intelligence, but the way we handled something or, or maybe, yeah, the way we drove, <clears throat> choices we're making on the road. Um, and so the Lord in those, in those, on those occasions is putting us, he's taking us to the, the valley of humiliation. Uh, this is what uh, one of those things that <clears throat> John Bunyan talked about. And he spoke of the Valley of Humiliation, right, the Pilgrim's Progress. I have also known many laboring men that have got good estates in this Valley of Humiliation. Uh, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Indeed, it is a very fruitful soil, and doth bring forth by handfuls. So when you are wronged and provoked, the Lord, really, is, he's a sovereign, right? He's, he's pressing you down. He is the one who's taking you down. Uh, you feel low. You feel like you're not treated well. Well, this is a low position. Uh, Jesus embraced this low position when he took on flesh and became a servant of men and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. He embraced this calling, right? And he, and he didn't fight it. He went down and he just accepted it. He allowed people to insult him, to revile him. And that was the valley of humiliation. And the Lord will call you to that place again and again when people misunderstand you, when people are frustrated with what you're doing or not doing, saying or not saying, uh, when you are persecuted for your faith and people make you feel ashamed for what you believe. In all these ways, and so many others, um, it is a low place that the Lord is, is taking you to. And, and John Bunyan is saying, you don't really want to run from there anyway. It's the valley of humiliation. This is some of the most fruitful soil that I've seen in the lives of God's people. I see God produce such a, a beautiful bouquet of graces in the times of, those, of that humiliation. So don't run from that. Embrace that. God is sovereign over this, and he's putting you there. Um, and there are some graces there. Uh, some, where we talk, when I say graces, I'm talking about uh, the spiritual fruit, uh, uh, character fruit that he produces in your life. Um, strength and faith, right? Peace, true peace like absence of anxiety, trust in the Lord. These are all graces, and he's, he's, uh, he produces those in that fruitful soil. And there's some graces that, that, aren't, that can't be produced in any other way. You need that soil, obviously, because otherwise God wouldn't take you there. He knows what you need. He knows how to get you there, and he doesn't do things accidentally. So if just think about that. Even when someone cuts you off, I hope someone cuts you off today. I, I, I hope so. Um, maybe it'll be me. No, just kidding. It'll be for your good. Uh, and you'll think, wow, the Lord is blessing me. 
Wouldn't that be something to have that thought come to your mind? The Lord is blessing me. He arranged that. That person doesn't understand me. I really was, maybe, maybe it really, really was your fault, but a lot of times it's not, right? I mean, I see someone driving. He's doing all right, but another guy gets mad at him. I'm like, how's that guy feel right now? He didn't actually do anything wrong, right? I'm on your side, you know, white car. Maybe that's what the, what? Maybe that's what they were thinking. Yeah, could be. I just want to be self-centered today, and I need a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if you're wronged in that way, just remember, the Lord is, is blessing you. And, and, and get down low and say, Lord, it's okay if you want other people to look down on me and misunderstand me. Yeah. Well, it's kind of curious that you're saying this today because Phil and I just drove from the end of I-81 to home here, and that's over 900 miles yesterday. Yeah. I wish we had known that because <laughs> it's like, how do you not get emotional with stupidness? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> We're all thinking it too soon. Oh, man. Yeah, it is. It is. That's the fruitful soil. The Lord had you driving in fruitful soil all day long. But, you know, fortunately, if you've missed opportunities, there's more fruitful soil coming up. <laughs> yeah. Now, David, of course, is not being cut off by another car. When he says, this poor man cried, I mean, he's brought to the point of tears, right? And oftentimes that's, that's reflected in the kind of wrongs that are done to us, the kind that literally make us cry. And so there are things that can't be produced in your life until he finally makes you cry. And that, my friends, is part of the good life. It's when you are crying but you're crying out to Yahweh. And He hears you. And He delivers you out of all of your troubles. Not by removing all afflictions, right? But by strengthening you and giving you joy and contentment. So don't run from those things. Embrace it. Remember, you're called that you might inherit a blessing. Right? So embrace that. Uh, hope in the future grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, imitate your Savior. Right? This, is, this is where the power to do these things comes from. Uh, hope in the future grace that is yours in Christ. Imitate your Savior. Remember that you're born of God. Uh, his seed is in you producing fruit that is different than the rest of the world. It's contrary. It's totally unnatural. Um, so what does all that look like, though? Rest, rest in the undeserved favor that cares for you and sympathizes with you when you're hurting, when you're, when you're crying, when you're wronged, when you are under so much pressure. And the, the situation just seems absolutely hopeless. Um, rest in the undeserved favor that cares for you and sympathizes with you when you're hurting. Uh, rest in the undeserved favor which has arranged the wrongs that have been done to you. Think about that. Undeserved favor. You don't deserve that favor, but there is favor. He, he gushes. That's, I, I think extreme language is warranted. He gushes. I mean, it, he loves you so much, like Zephaniah 3, right? He, he uh, dances over you. I mean, there's such a delight that God has in you, right? That's what's behind the wrongs done to you. He's not just barely remembering you and he just loves you so much, and that's why he's arranged it for you. So rest in the undeserved favor, which has arranged the wrongs done to you. Recognize the grace you have been shown in, in your salvation. You are undeserving. Desire the same gift for the other person, which will transform their heart and give them that same undeserving favor eternally. How can we not desire this for other people? 
Admire the grace that has been shown to you and imitate it. You think about how you were God's enemy and he loved you and blesses you. And think about how you continue to sin. You continue to be unfaithful and irresponsible and self-centered, but he keeps loving you. I mean, that's the way it is for you this morning as you sit here. You're a whole bunch of unfaithful people, and so am I. That is who we are, and yet we are still the recipients of overflowing undeserved favor that are shown to us in so many concrete ways, in so many immaterial ways. And if you will admire that grace and God, and just that he keeps pouring it out, that he is that way, and delight in him for it, then you will be able to imitate that and do that for others. And I don't think, if you, if you don't admire that grace shown to you all the time, you won't be able to imitate that. You won't want to. You won't be able to. But we must be that way. So admire the grace that's been shown to you and imitate it. Let the gospel sweeten you so that you desire the greater glory of God and the accomplishment of His purposes. Because sometimes what happens is you're being, wrongs are being done to you, and the reason why it's so hard to respond the right way is because you don't really want to honor God. You know you're supposed to. I should want to honor God, but why don't I want to? And how do you, how do you want it? It's through contemplating God's grace to you, His sovereign grace. And what he's done to make you holy in his sight. And the promises that he makes to you that are guaranteed in Christ, that sweetens you. You're so safe. You're so secure. You're so loved. And then, and then you will desire to honor him. Um, I, I think about that when people, even, even as I've been sick this week, People have reached out and expressed their concern. And I just love them, and I want them to be blessed. It's just natural. It's the way we are. If we just think about the Lord being so kind to us, then we will, we will love honoring Him. Um, and that's what we'll need to be faithful, to respond to others the way Christ did. Um, but we're so weak, aren't we? 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Ah, this is, this is the plan. He's going to strengthen his people to be this way. Oh, man. It's us, but we're so weak. How can we do this? We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. But that's all by design. To show the surpassing power to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The Lord displays His grace and magnifies His undeserved favor when He deposits that favor into clay jars, clay pots. And how do we, clay pots, display the power of God's undeserved favor? Paul goes on, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So you're called to this. It's awesome. Number eight, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from evil. Whoever, verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Uh, so Psalm 34, this verse that he's quoting, right? He's got quotation, a quotation there at the beginning of verse 10, whoever desires to love life. Quotation marks. This verse, uh, the verse right before whoever desires to love life and see good days in Psalm 34 is... Psalm 34, verse 11, which says, Come, O children, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. This is what it looks like to fear Yahweh. He says, let me teach you. Come here, gather around. Let me teach you the fear of Yahweh. 
Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from gossip, from slander, from insulting others. Keep your tongue from speaking without thinking first. You have to tame the tongue. Can anyone tame the tongue? No. James 3.8 says, no one can tame the tongue. Yet he has asked you to be someone who tames the tongue. He's asked you to be someone you can't be on your own, but you've been born again by the Spirit, by the Word. You've been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus from a futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. So keep your tongue from evil. Number nine, don't lie. Or keep your lips from speaking deceit. Right? Don't lie. Again, verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Uh, Peter uses the same word deceit earlier in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, put away all deceit, and he lists other sins, and receive the word, long for the pure milk of the word. Get rid of these things that spoil your appetite and receive the word. And, And you've tasted the kindness of the Lord in the word already. Well, long for more of it. So put away all this sin and enjoy the Lord and the gospel in the word. Uh, deceit refers to guile, dishonesty, falsehood, treachery, right? Betrayal of trust. It's deceiving someone for personal advantage. It includes exaggerating the truth for personal attention or for sympathy. It includes twisting the truth for personal comfort and convenience. Maybe you're not honest with your spouse about something. Maybe you're not honest with your boss, your parents, your teachers. Don't forfeit God's blessing. So don't lie. Number 10, turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So let him turn away. Uh, This is the idea of leaning over to avoid evil. I mean, you are really getting out of the way. It's like a football player who catches a football at a kickoff. And he bobs and weaves and does whatever he can to avoid getting tackled. He keeps turning away. You're to turn away from evil. Remember this when you're staring temptation in the face. Run from evil. Run. There's a lie we believe when we sin. We think we can sin in one area. It's not that big of a deal. And then over in this other area, we can maintain our joy and contented living. But that's a lie. You must have an aversion to evil that aggressively refrains from it and turns away from it. Eleventh ingredient, do good. Do good or pursue what is good. So picture that football player, once again, picture him trying to avoid a tackle, but at the same time running aimlessly all over the field. He doesn't do that. He avoids the tackle, but he's running towards something. I mean, that'd be silly if uh, he he ran that way. But in fact, that's what we oftentimes do as Christians. Sometimes we think, I'm going to avoid evil, but then we just run all over aimlessly. Peter's saying, no, here's the good life. It's not just that you avoid evil and run from it. I mean, you are on the lookout for evil and avoiding it, but you live with an agenda, and it's not one you've set for yourself. It's one that your Lord has set for you, and you pursue that. So you're to live a purposeful life. When you wake up in the morning, you should think, what, God, do you want me to pursue today? How can I serve you? Uh, be, be purposeful, not just for each day, but to say, what does God want me to accomplish this year? What should we as a family be trying to accomplish Uh, for our church, for our small group? What should we be trying to accomplish for me in my small group? What should I be trying to accomplish? I've got these relationships that God has given me. What is he, God, what do you want me to accomplish with these relationships? And we're purposeful. We let God's principles and God's truth uh, dictate how we live and we live purposefully. Uh, And sometimes we find ourselves Oh, I just, I just can't avoid evil. I can't refrain from evil. I keep telling myself I'm going to. Well, are you living purposefully? Are you pursuing God's will? Because sometimes our lives are full of so much idleness that we find it so hard to avoid evil. We just keep slipping back into it. Um, 
So this happens quite a bit with people that are, uh, you know, they have addictions to things, various pleasures or activities or whatever, and, oh, I just can't avoid it. I can't say no to temptation. Well, sometimes much of the answer is found in pursuing God's will, pursuing Him to love Him and to serve Him, and pouring yourself into it, not dabbling in it, but pursuing good, throwing yourself into it. Um, you're still going to have to refrain from evil. I mean, both commands are given. You've got to do both. But sometimes the first one is almost made impossible to do because you don't do the next one. So they both hang together. Uh, and it is the other way too, right? I keep trying to do this. I'm trying to lead my family and, and worship, the guy says. But I keep getting pulled off track. with. Well, sometimes he's not refraining from evil, and that's why he's not able to pursue good. So you, don't, you need to do both. And these are oftentimes put side by side in Scripture. Uh, this, is, this is God's wisdom that you would look at both sides of this. Uh, Numbers 12 and 13, seek peace and pursue peace, right? 12, seek peace, 13, pursue peace. They do really hang together. Uh, you're to desire peace and hunt it aggressively. That word seek is a strong one. Uh, these commands deal with peace between people. Peace is the absence of conflict. It's a, it's a heart of forgiveness on both sides. That's what creates that peace. So this involves maintaining peace and seeking to restore it when it's broken. So he says, seek peace and, and, and then follow after it. It may be hard to find, uh, David and Peter are both thinking, uh, it may be hard to find this peace when we're, when we're supposed to be looking for it, uh, but we should hunt it down like you would your favorite book. You just can't put your hand on it. It's somewhere around the house and you just keep looking for it. I was looking last night for my iPad. And Ruby thought it was so funny, I was flipping over the chairs, and things were falling on the ground, and I, I wasn't flipping over chairs quite like that. I wasn't out of control, <laughs> but it was surprising and amusing to her. Um, so, so that's the way it ought to be with peace. You're working hard to see peace in your relationships. Um, and then you should follow after it in the way that you would your dog that gets loose and runs away or your cow that gets loose and <laughs> runs away all over town. <laughs> Don't it? <laughs> I was really excited about that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't expect peace to come to you. <laughs> Uh, don't expect peace to come to you when you whistle. It's hard to now switch from the cow, isn't it? Uh, go back to relationships and peace in relationships. You know what that's like. Uh, you want to just say, all right, I want peace. I want it to be done with. But it isn't, it isn't easy, and it's like the command assumes it's not easy. It takes a lot of concerted effort. So you're going to have to hunt it down, you're going to have to do the work, and then you're going to have to learn the new habit. You're going to have to stick with it, keep going with it. Um, do you have peace in your relationships right now? Uh, maybe uh, you've got a relationship when you think of that person, your heart churns, your blood starts to boil. Um, you remind yourself of the conversations with the person that you've had and that you just despise. And in your mind, you replay the tape of the wrongs the person's done to you. Sometimes we shove that aside. Um, try to take that unreconciled relationship and just forget about it. Cover it up with other things in life, things that are more pleasant to think about. And we try to live the good life without seeking peace and pursuing it. Peter says it won't work. You're surrendering the good life. Um, seeking peace isn't just being forgiving. Sometimes we, we think, well, okay, I've done everything I can. I am forgiving. It's the other person. Well, seek peace and pursue it includes more than just making sure that you are not bitter, but it's doing everything you can to help that person forgive you. It's working hard at that. I shouldn't say everything you can. But you're working hard to do what you can to help that person to forgive you. 
Uh, you're working hard to make sure that that person doesn't misunderstand you and so have a hard time in his or her relationship with you. Right? That's what seeking peace and pursuing it involves. Um, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Oh, David's trying to teach them to fear the Lord and to remember uh, how great the Lord is. And that's what Peter's trying to do. Hey, em- em- embrace this life that God's called you to. And when you do, there are such sweet encouragements and assurances. He watches over you. Uh, he's got his eye on you to care for you. And he listens to you, so cry out to him. You're not going to be able to cry out to him for help if you're, if you're setting aside his commands and living for yourself. So Peter's saying embrace these things, and then, and then you have his listening ear. He loves, to, he loves for you to come and ask for help. Um, and then, of course, there's the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, Peter and David are reminding us, hey, people are doing what's wrong and against you many times, right? It's wrong. Well, um, just remember that his justice is perfect. His righteousness is immutable. It's consistent. It's flawless. It's dependable. He's dependable. So when you show kindness to that one, you're not setting aside justice. You're putting it in his hands. He'll take care of those things. But remember also that the one that you love and call Father, He is just. He is righteous. And if you don't humble yourself before Him, well, you're, you're trying to work against Him. That's not going to go well for you. So live in fear of displeasing the one that you love as your Father. And live the good life. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word uh, this morning. I pray that You would Uh, enable us to fear you, enable us to have minds that are transformed by your mercies, that we would all think the same and be humble-minded towards one another and also strengthened to live a life that is totally unnatural and is totally contrary to the rest of the world, that we might display excellent behavior, that, that reflects your glory. Do this work in us, Lord, for your glory and for our good. We pray this through Christ. Amen.